from WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio Station. Welcome. I'm Warren Odestulet, and this is A Baha'i Perspective. Welcome to A Baha'i Perspective. I recorded an interview with Alan Manifold on June 25, 2018. Alan is a musician, choral composer, and author of the mystery novel, Consulting Detective. Alan explains that since college, his intention was to become a writer, and he was an avid reader of science fiction and mystery novels. So it seemed natural to him that he would eventually put these two together to produce his first mystery novel. Alan explains the significance of the book title and shares an excerpt from the novel in the interview. I started the interview by asking Alan where he grew up and what was religious life like growing up. I grew up in Indiana in the United States. My father was a Methodist minister, and Methodist ministers tend to move around fairly often. So we moved about every three or four years as I was growing up. I don't feel like I have a specific hometown, but I have definitely Indiana. We lived in, I don't know, maybe six or eight cities by the time I was ready to go off to college. And since my father was a minister, our religious life centered around the Methodist church wherever we were. We were basically forced, all of, uh, I'm one of five children, and all of us were basically forced to go to church every week. But I don't know that we felt it that way. We felt that it was a nice thing. We had a lot of friends in the church and uh, enjoyed our time there, more so in Sunday school probably than in the uh, main church. But it was part of our life, just a natural part of life, and we never would have thought about this being uh, something unusual or painful or whatever. If it wasn't really something that spoke to you, you know, normally teenage years can be sort of rebellious years. I was just curious mm. at what point did you strike out on your own? I continued to be very involved in the church all the way through my high school years. So up until I guess I was about 17, I went to church every week and uh, we had MYF, we called it Methodist Youth Fellowship, that I was involved in as a participant and a leader for my high school years, and just really considered myself as a real, true member of the church. That changed, I guess, a bit when I went off to college. It wasn't a long way off. I think we were about an hour and a half, an hour, something like that, away from home, but it was far enough and living in a different kind of environment. I was living in the residence hall that things changed. What I felt when I first arrived at college was that I was a Christian. I could not have identified what made being a Methodist different from being a Presbyterian or an Episcopalian or whatever, but I was definitely a Christian. I tried going to the uh, service that they had on campus. It was a Quaker college, so I went to a meeting, and I just found it not at all fulfilling. 
so I didn't go back. But I continued to consider myself a Christian and did that throughout my freshman year. I can't say I was a particularly good Christian. I mean, I was a good boy or whatever, but I wasn't terribly involved in anything or praying every day or didn't have any spiritual habits. But I did consider myself a Christian. Then at, I guess during my sophomore year, I began to find out more about the Baha'i faith. There was a good friend of mine from my hometown who roomed with a Baha'i the second year on the same hall that I was. So the Baha'is all came, all the ones on campus, which wasn't a lot, but they all came to their room every night for evening prayers at 11. And they would have short prayer time, and then they would come over to our room usually, (laughs) because my room was sort of the social room of the hall, and uh, people would come over and just chat, and we'd study together, and uh, sometimes play music or whatever, a lot of studying, but some social time as well. I was not the least bit interested in what they had to say about the Baha'i faith, just because it seemed outlandish to me, and I didn't have anything that hooked me in. But at one point, somebody told me the story of the martyrdom of the Bab, the Bab who was the forerunner of Baha'u'llah, the founder of the Baha'i faith. The Bab was tried by a religious court in Iran and was hung up in front of a vast multitude and a firing squad of 750 rifles fired and the Bab was not hurt. I thought, well, people talk about miracles. That's uh, just something else that people talk about. But what really got me for some reason was that they said this was reported in the newspapers. I was like, newspapers? Like Somehow the idea that this was not just a few people off in uh, the wilderness somewhere who witnessed a miracle, but 10 or 20,000 people who witnessed this miracle and it was published in the newspapers that this happened, it just really touched me. Like right then I thought, oh, so this must be true. From then on, it was just a matter of my finding out more about what the Baha'i faith was really about because I didn't know very much. But I guess I sort of immediately identified, well, it has to be right. How could this happen otherwise? It's been a journey from there, but that was my first touch of moving into the Baha'i faith. So what time in history are you referring to when the Bab was martyred? This happened in 1850 in uh, the city of Tabriz. Iran, which was still known as Persia back then, the religion and the government were essentially together, the same thing. So... The Bab was tried in a religious court, which was also presided over by a uh, relative of the Shah. So it was both religious and governmental, and he was basically convicted of heresy. So that was a crime punishable by death. Quite different than I hope we would approach things now, but uh, at that time, the idea of heresy being a capital crime... I don't think that would have been even that unusual in other cultures, let alone in Iran. So I'm speaking with Alan Manifold, musician, 
choral composer and author of the novel The Consulting Detective, which we'll get into in a moment. It's interesting, Alan, that you're a musician and a choral composer, but you recently had written a book. And so I'm curious, has both music and writing been something important to you, even at maybe an early age? Music, I have always sung. That's been a a piece of my life forever. I sang in primary school and all the way through high school and then a little bit in college. And then I got involved in a group shortly after I graduated from college and sang with that choir in Lafayette, Indiana for 15 years. So that's always been a part of my life. The composing came a little later. But when I was in high school, I completely expected myself to be a writer. That's what I wanted to do. I loved literature. I loved reading. I had a group of friends, and we just wrote stories and shared them with each other. So we did a lot of that, and sometimes we would write together. We even put together little anthologies of our stories to share with others in our class. They all thought we were a little weird because we were into this weird science fiction stuff. But for me, it was just about telling a story. So it didn't matter what the genre was, science fiction or whatever. That's what I read most of when I was in high school, science fiction. But then as I got a little older, I started adding in mystery. And eventually I sort of stopped reading science fiction and read more mysteries and other kinds of novels. As a literature major in college, I read a lot of good literature. I was not able to choose what I wanted to read. I chose the classes, and then the professors would choose the literature. So I have read basically the complete works of Shakespeare and poets from the 17th century and 20th century British and American authors and so forth. So I have very good background in literature. But that doesn't necessarily translate into writing. But writing sort of in some ways came before the reading. I read just for pleasure, but I wrote something I needed to do to get ideas out of me, be creative somehow. And I guess that's what ties those two things together, the the composing, the singing, all the music bits, and the writing All of it is about being creative, which is really important to me. In my job, I work at the State Library of Victoria in Melbourne, Australia, and my job is uh, to do IT. Information technology in libraries is a big, a big thing, and it requires, you know, technical knowledge and so forth. But what I really like about my job is that I get to create. I get to, sometimes it's creating a PowerPoint presentation, sometimes it's uh, writing a a report, sometimes it's writing a computer program, uh, and sometimes it's just troubleshooting a problem and uh, being creative about how to figure out what's going wrong. So I'm speaking with (coughs) Alan Manifold, musician, choral composer, and author of the book, The Consulting Detective. So, Alan, what inspired for you to write this particular book at the time that you did? That's a difficult question because it was so long ago that I barely remember. (laughs) 
the book has just come out this year, so to everybody it seems like a fresh uh, new thing. But for me, I've been working on it uh, for something like 17 years. I think that's what I figured out, that it's been that long since I started it. And I can't actually remember what it was that caused me to write or to think about that. As I look at it now, a couple of the things that strike me are I watched detectives shows, crime shows on television and movies, and I read detective stories. And one of the things I find is that the detectives, uh, by and large, are not very nice people. <laughs> they are, many of them are alcoholic or they're abusive, they are bullies, they're loners, most of them have a string of failed relationships. Sometimes when they deal with suspects or even witnesses, they are just very mean. They try to push them and and they don't treat them with respect and so forth. So all of that like makes it feel like well, who would ever want to be a detective? And how would anybody ever choose to go into a profession where uh, the people are so nasty? And then, of course, you have the crime, so the criminals are not necessarily going to be nice people either. Uh, you wouldn't think so. Uh, so it just sort of turns people off. Anybody should be turned off by that idea, I guess. Uh, but I wanted to... Think about what it would be like if, basically, what it would be like if I were a detective. Like, what would that mean? How would I go about being a detective with different values? Like, obviously, uh, if you're going into the police force or you're or wanting to be a detective, you would have an, an interest in justice. You would want to find out the truth about uh, situation and hold people accountable for their for their actions. But beyond that, uh, there are other values such as uh, respect for people, such as uh, a balance between work and home life, or a a valuing of the simple virtue of being a good parent uh, or being a good spouse. And how can you do that if you have all these other problems, if you're so tied up with your work that you uh, can't have a normal life? So, like, I could never be that kind of detective, but I could maybe be, you know, I could see myself in a position where I could be a, a detective who has values and who expresses them in uh, lots of ways during their day. So I'm speaking with Alan Manifold musician, choral composer, and we're talking about his new book called The Consulting Detective, and he was describing a little bit of what he was thinking when he decided to write the book. Could you give folks just a, a flavor of what the book is about without being a spoiler? <laughs> yeah, sure. I can, uh, I can say the sort of things that are on the back cover, so we know that that doesn't give anything away. <laughs> That's great. Uh, the story uh, is about a rabbi who is murdered in his own synagogue. There are anti-Jewish, anti-Semitic slogans uh, that have been spray-painted on the walls of the synagogue. 
as well. So the immediate implication is that this is some kind of hate crime and either somebody came to vandalize the synagogue and ended up with murder or somebody came to murder the rabbi and included vandalizing in order to uh, make an extra statement about their feelings about Jewish people. But there are some inconsistencies about that. Uh, the detective, uh, Mehdi Montgomery, doesn't like to just say, oh, well, looks like that, so I'm going to leave at that. He, he needs to go a little further and find out uh, whether there's any other possibilities in this particular crime. So he, he starts from there. You said that you wrote the book from the perspective of, well, what would I do or how would I be a detective with my values? Did you also hold any other well-known fictional detectives in mind as you were writing? One comes to mind, Columbo was a very humble, <laughs> sort of self-effacing detective, and he always came off as somebody who people just underestimated him because of his <laughs> humility and his self-effacement. I don't know uh, if you had other fictional detectives in mind in addition to yourself. <laughs> Not that you are uh, a fictional detective. <laughs> uh, the, the only way I'm a detective is in fiction. So <laughs> That's true. Uh, not really with that, I mean, not, not that closely where I would say, you know, have looked at a particular detective. I have read and seen lots of detectives. And so they all come you know, all of their techniques and their thoughts and their behaviors come to my mind uh, when I'm writing, uh, but nothing, no one in particular, I would say. I guess there's two aspects to McDee Montgomery's behavior or character or actions in this book. Uh, one set is um, that he is a detective, so he's asking questions, he is uh, looking at the evidence, he is you know, trying to sort things out to make sense of what could be clues, what could be motives, and so forth. So, so all of those things are part of his detective side. And then there's another side of him, which is his personal side, uh, which also includes his being a Baha'i. So he has interactions with his family. He has interactions with other people in his religious community, his Baha'i community, uh, but wider community as well because he has been involved in the past in interfaith activity and so forth. So as he goes around town to ask questions and to investigate, follow up on clues and so forth, he knows a lot of people and many of them he met either through his family or through participating in interfaith activities or some other way that emphasizes some other aspect of his character. And then there's a few places where these two parts of him uh, come together. For instance, the title of the book is Consulting Detective. And one reason for that is that he is not a loner. He is not one who goes off and thinks about the clues and keeps all the cards close to his chest and never tells anybody anything. He likes to gather together other police who are involved in the in the investigation and just sit down and go over the facts with them together and all of them 
try to, to arrive at the truth, try to find out, figure out what it is that is actually going on in this particular situation. So uh, uh, he has these meetings for consulting. And he even does this uh, in the book, he does it with a group of witnesses, people that he doesn't think are may or may not be involved in the crime, but he doesn't think so. Uh, he gathers them together and he sort of presents some of the facts, not violating you know, the confidentiality that he would have as a police officer, but sharing some facts and then getting their views on what could be the motive, uh, what kinds of things might have happened here that would help illuminate the crime. So I was speaking with Alan Manifold, musician, choral composer, and author of the book, The Consulting Detective, a mystery novel. Alan, so there is a significance to consulting or consultation amongst the Baha'i principles. Could uh, you elucidate what that is for folks that are listening? Uh, This is, of course, my own interpretation of this, but give it a shot. Uh, The idea of consultation, which is a little bit different than Uh, other kinds of decision-making, like just discussion or debate or so forth. The idea of consultation is that all of the people who consult together are there to achieve the truth, to find the truth. And so that is not helped by people having their uh, having strong opinions about things and forcing other people to accept their opinions. It is helped by everyone contributing their ideas and helping to hone those ideas until they until they seem to represent true re- reality. I might have the idea that, for instance, this particular suspect uh, seems suspicious and rather than me saying, so I insist that we treat him as the number one suspect or whatever, what I say instead is, here are the reasons why I think this might be true. And then other people can sort of react to that and say, well, uh, you didn't take into account these other facts that might also be of interest, but uh, I agree with you on these facts. And basically everybody contributes their ideas, puts them on the table, and then we uh, everybody works together to try to shape what seems to be the best reflection of truth uh, without adhering to their own opinions or, or their own uh, preconceived ideas. I'm speaking with Alan Manifold, a musician, choral composer, and author of the mystery The Consulting Detective, which we are talking about. Alan, do you have an excerpt that you could read for us? I do, actually. I have a little passage. This is from... The book is is laid out in days, so it's a, uh, it takes about a week to do this processing. So this is from day one uh, of the investigation, and the body of the rabbi has been discovered, but they don't know much yet. So one of the first steps is to find out more about the victim. So this is a passage from there. Mehdi made a call to Sam Schliebaum the president of congregation Beth Shalom, and made arrangements to meet him at the synagogue. The building had been sealed after the rabbi's body had been removed, but there was no current police activity. 
Mehdi went out the back door of the police department and got into his blue Mini Cooper S, the model with a Union Jack painted on the roof. He arrived first at the synagogue and used the key the police had borrowed to let himself in. He had another opportunity to see the spray-painted graffiti before the congregation president arrived. After just a few minutes, an elderly gentleman entered the building. Sam Schliebaum looked good for 87, but he walked slowly and deliberately. He removed his coat and held it over his arm. He did not remove his hat. He wore a brown pinstriped suit that looked a few years out of date, but in good shape. The ensemble included a maroon tie with a full Windsor knot that made the tie hang a little short. Schliebaum's face was heavily wrinkled and his hair was white. Ah, Mr. Schliebaum, Michti offered his hand to the man. I'm afraid your name has slipped my mind, young man, said Samuel Schliebaum. The memory is none too good these days, I'm sorry to say. Mehdi Montgomery, the detective said. Oh, of course. You're with the local Baha'i community, aren't you? That's right. We met at an interface service five or six years ago down at the park. I remember. That was a lovely service. Weren't you the organizer? I was one of them, Mehdi replied modestly. There was a whole committee, of course. It's more than one person could do. I'd say your memory is working just fine, Mr. Schliebaum. The older man grinned. Well, I guess I haven't lost it all yet. I appreciate your agreeing to meet me here, Mehdi said. I've been wanting to have a chance to talk to whomever was running the investigation, Schliebaum replied. I'm glad to find that it's you. Would you like to go to the office and sit and talk? That would be great, Mr. Schliebaum. Please lead the way. Mehdi reviewed some of the facts of the case with the congregation president, then asked him to talk about the rabbi. He was fairly new here, wasn't he? Mehdi asked. Been here just six months or so, I think, Schliebaum replied. Before that, he was at a synagogue in Ohio. I'm afraid I can't dredge up the name of the place right now. He was a very likable young man and hard-working, too. He took his job very seriously. Did he seem to be getting along well here, fitting in and connecting with the congregation? Why do you ask? Pretty cut-and-dried case from the sound of it. Is there more to this that you haven't told me? Nothing particular, no. It's just that I can't stop at the front door of a case, Mehdi replied. I have to go in and look around to make sure I'm not missing anything. Oh, that's all right then. Yes, he was getting along very well. He treated us old-timers with respect and honored the traditions of the temple. But he also seemed to relate to the younger people. More of them have been showing up lately, and I think it's because of him. This is sort of a side issue, Montgomery said, but can you clarify for me the relationship between the terms congregation, synagogue, and temple? I thought I remembered that the term temple was reserved for the ancient one in Jerusalem. That's true for the Orthodox congregations. They'll call themselves a congregation and generally call their place of worship a shul, and they don't use the term temple at all. The Reformed Jews usually call their places temples. This is a conservative synagogue, sort of a compromise for when there's only enough of us for a single congregation. Officially, we stick with the term synagogue, but I'm a Reformed Jew myself, and they all mean pretty much the same thing to me. Sorry for the tangent. I like learning. 
No problem, Detective Montgomery. I like talking, so we're a good match. Both men laughed. Obviously, nothing like this has ever happened before here, but there have been some unpleasant incidents in the past, haven't there? Unfortunately, yes. Over the last two years, we've had, I think, three different attacks by vandals. In each case, they spray-painted their garbage on the front of the building or the doors. I hate to make you repeat the words, but I think it would help me to know what was written. Mr. Schliebaum sighed. I've heard this garbage all my life, son. I don't have any problem repeating it. Once they wrote, Hitler was right, and once it was, death to Jewish pigs. The third time there were no words, only swastikas. One of them was even carved into the door that time. Luckily, it wasn't very deep, and it could be repaired fairly easily. Had to stain the doors a lot darker, though, to hide it. I'm so sorry, Mr. Schliebaum, Mitty said. It makes me sad that anyone in this community would be so sick that they would do that kind of thing. Jews are used to persecution, son. We've grown tough. But it's hard to see a nice young man like Rabbi Clemmy lost. It'll be a blow to the congregation. Make no mistake. I want to go mm -hmm. get, get the book now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, good. <laughs> uh, so uh, where can folks find your book? Uh, it's available from Amazon and most online booksellers, I think. It's also available from the Baha'i Bookstore in the U.S. and Baha'i Bookstore in Australia and elsewhere. Amazon is probably the easiest, and it's available as both an e-book or as a physical book. So either way, people like it. I'm talking with Alan Manifold, musician, choral composer, and author of the mystery novel, The Consulting Detective, which he had just read an excerpt from. You know, Alan, I forgot to ask you a question back when, when you were talking about how you had become a Baha'i. And I was just curious, since your father was a Christian <clears throat> minister, I was wondering how he felt about you becoming a Baha'i. He and my mother both were very hands-off for our beliefs. Like they were, they were hands-on parents, of course, and, and took good care of us, but they did not want to dictate our belief system. And so when I told him I was a Baha'i, that I had become a Baha'i, I gave him a copy of a, uh, an introductory Baha'i book so that if he was interested, he could read a bit more. And uh, I gave copies to all my brothers and, and others as well. But of all of those people, as far as I know, he is the only one that actually read it. And it was my feeling at the time that he was sort of that he was trying to determine whether I was, whether it was something he should worry about, whether I was involved in some kind of a cult or something because he didn't know anything about it. And after reading that, I think he found that it was not in any way a cult, so he didn't have to worry about it and could just be relaxed about it. And from then on through the rest of his life, he, he would ask me from time to time questions like, so what activities are you involved in and how are things going with the Baha'is in Iran, which he knew that there was uh, ongoing persecution of members of the Baha'i faith in Iran. So he would be open to that kind of question. 
is a very funny story. One time I was at home and I was living with them. Uh, I was giving a talk in a park and I invited my father to come along. I was going to sing uh, some songs I had written and give a talk and I thought he might be interested and he agreed to come along and uh, listen to my talk and my, my music and so forth. And then it was in a park, so we had some kind of refreshments, maybe lunch, I can't remember. And he went off one of the other Baha'is, cornered him, I guess, and asked him that same question. How do you, how do you feel about Alan becoming a Baha'i? And he said, well, the two of them, my mother and my father, had always encouraged us to find our own ways and that we made some decisions that he wouldn't necessarily have made, but that they could be supportive of whatever those decisions might be. He said, so I have one son who is divorced and another one who is gay and Alan is a Baha'i. So <laughs> so I sort of, once I heard this story later, I, I found out what, what group I was in. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I'm speaking with Alan Manifold, a musician, choral composer, and author of the mystery novel, The Consulting Detective. And we were just talking about what his parents' reaction was to when he became a Baha'i. Are you thinking about writing another book? I actually have begun a sequel to Consulting Detective. One of the things that scares me a little bit about writing a detective novel is that I am not a detective. I have never been involved in police work and I don't know valid procedures and so forth. I think one can learn a lot from a skeptical viewing of television shows and, and novels and so forth. But you have to assume that that even what these, I mean, what these sources give you is not necessarily accurate uh, way of portraying police work. So I'm, I'm a little afraid, and even with this book, I was a little afraid of stepping too far into very technical kind of exploration of the details of police work. So in a sequel, uh, what I decided to do sort of combines a couple of things of interest to me. Uh, just five and a half years ago, my wife and I were able to move from the United States to Australia, uh, where we've been living ever since, and we are now Australian citizens and plan to live here uh, the rest of our days. So I thought it would be interesting to take my detective, Mithi Montgomery, and bring him to Australia. In Australia, presumably he would be a trained police officer but with absolutely no authority. So he has the same skills that he has in the U.S., but uh, he would not be, be following normal police procedure because he would not be a police officer here. So the sequel is, is sort of thinking about how he would approach investigating something without stepping on the toes of the police, without getting involved with anything that would require him to have authority and so forth, but allow him to work on an interesting crime. So uh, that's that's the current premise. We'll see how that goes. I'm, I'm not too far along in it yet, so <laughs> I have a ways to go before we find out whether that's all going to work. 
Well, Alan, thank you so much for sharing with us the story of the consulting detective. Oh, you're very welcome. It's a, a pleasure to talk to you. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Alan Manifold, musician, choral composer, and author of the mystery novel Consulting Detective. You can find his book at BahaiBookstore.com. You can find this interview and other interviews at AbahaiPerspective.com and on the YouTube channel Abahai Perspective. You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes by searching for A Baha'i Perspective. For information specifically on the Baha'i faith, you can go to the website baha'i.org or you can call the toll-free number 1-800-22-UNITE. I hope you join me next time on A Baha'i Perspective.
comes with ease I'll never know what it's like to wear a crown And have my people bow to me In the end your deeds are sending gold just weighs you down Forget the world and let it be Too late. It's too late. 
I just wish I could have told him in the living years. So say, say, say it loud. Say it This is WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio Station, streaming at www.valleyfreeradio.org.